Good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Tesla second quarter 2021 financial results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Hello and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host and we have so much stuff to go over this week. It is the Tesla Q2 2021 earnings call. So we have all of that stuff to get through. We're going to talk a little bit about electric vehicle fires and then we're going to do something a little different during this earnings call. I collected a whole bunch of stories, news stories throughout the week and some of this stuff has to do with Tesla and some of it doesn't have anything to do with Tesla. But I am just going to kind of pepper things in where they're appropriate, just news-wise. This is something I thought of last week, and I was like, I wonder if this would work. Because the problem is, is when I do this show, I miss all of the other news that happened this week. And, uh, you know, I feel bad about that. So I'm going to try it and see where it's appropriate and where it's not appropriate. And maybe we can turn it into something new. All right, first up, let's talk about electric vehicle fires, shall we? So Mark emailed in and he said, there's a lot of news about Tesla's catching on fire. I saw a news story about first responders needing to prepare for EV fires. As a fireman, can you educate us on the real fire dangers and challenges and cut through some of the FUD? All right. First thing, full disclosure, I work on a ladder truck that does not carry hoses and it does not carry water. So pretty much the only way I would actually go to a vehicle fire on my regular assignment or in my regular assignment is if it was threatening a structure or if it was involved in a car accident. So I'm just going to put that out there. Now, that doesn't mean that I know nothing about vehicle fires. I worked on an engine for a really long time, and then I've done this podcast, and I've done a lot of research and training into what it takes to put out an electric vehicle on fire versus an internal combustion vehicle that's on fire. So I'm not going to call myself an expert, but I'm also no dummy when it comes to this kind of stuff. First, let's talk about internal combustion engine uh, fires. So they come in a wide range, like from semi trucks down to, you know, your teeny tiny compact cars, and they all are different. And that's important because they're different because of the, the size of the vehicle they are, how much fuel they hold, what kind of fuel that they hold. Some We have hydrogen vehicles out there rolling around. We have natural gas and propane-powered vehicles. We have diesel, obviously, and then gasoline. And then I'll add on top of all that stuff is what is the vehicle hauling? Is it just a regular sedan that's hauling people? Or is this a pickup truck with the back of the bed full of pool chemicals, which causes a, a whole other set of problems? Or is it a box truck like a FedEx truck or a UPS truck, and is it hauling some sort of hazmat material? All of this stuff changes the way we fight fires. So what I'm what I'm trying to get at is no two emergencies are the same. So when you've been a firefighter for a while, you might get dispatched to a car fire and you're like, you know what? I know exactly what this is. You've got a, a whole picture in your head and you're starting to set up a plan and then you show up and it is absolutely not what you thought. And you have to rethink your entire strategy at that point. So let's talk about your just standard sedan type car fire. The things that are going to burn in the in the vehicle is the stuff that can melt underneath the, the hood where the engine is. It's going to be electrical stuff underneath the dash. It's going to be you drop your cigarette in the car and now you have a little contents fire in the in the car. It's not a big deal. These are really easy to put out. Even if the fire somehow breaches the gas tank, by the way, there's no explosions. That's just something they did in the 70s and 80s. But even if the fire breaches the gas tank, you have, you know, 10 to 15 gallons of fuel that's either going to A, burn up and take care of itself, or B, you're going to put it out. And now you have to deal with the fuel that's on the ground. But either way, that fire is going to go out fairly quickly. When you look at a electric vehicle, you still have that same problem. Like if the, if it's a wiring thing and it hasn't gotten to the battery, that's, those are still pretty easy to put out. It's going to be very similar to putting out a fire in a regular ice vehicle, right? The only thing that we're really worried about is we want to be very careful 
because there's a high voltage line that goes through there, that vehicle. And we don't want to, um, if that's exposed or somehow involved, we don't want to hit that because it'll electrocute and kill us. But other than that, <laughs> it's just a very simple fire, right? Those are, those are bread and butter, very easy fires where it becomes more difficult or it becomes more, um, long term for us as firefighters is when it involves the battery. So, if the battery gets into this thing called the thermal runaway, which means that it's heating up real fast and it's putting out energy and eventually those battery cells will catch on fire and that runaway will continue down the battery pack and catch more cells on fire and things like that. And there's so much energy in this, in this battery pack that it just keeps going and going and going, right? You can put water on it, but it's not going to necessarily put it out because all you're trying to do at that point is, is cool it. There are basically three ways to put out a fire. One is remove the fuel. Two is remove oxygen. And three is to cool it down below its ignition temperature, right? So that's what we're trying to do on electric car battery fires because we can't really get up in there um, with our hose lines to hit those battery cells because they're encased in that battery pack. So that's, that's our goal. That's why it takes so long because this battery pack is putting out so much energy, so much heat that we have to continuously spray this thing down to keep it cool. And there are times when that battery pack might reignite. So according to the National Fire Fire Protection Agency, you need 3,000 gallons at minimum to put out a electric car fire when the battery is involved. And if you just go back to that example of the standard sedan, most firefighters can put out a standard car fire to really doesn't matter how big the car is unless it's like a semi-truck or a bus, but most firefighters can put out a, a standard car fire with less than 700 gallons. And that's tank water. And what tank water is, that's the the water that is carried on the truck before you hit a hydrant. So in, in firefighter world, if a firefighter goes out there and drains the tank and still hasn't put out the fire, that's actually, you're, you're actually kind of teased about that because 99 times out of 100, that car fire is going to go out with tank water. So if you have not used your water efficiently, then you are not, you're, you're going to have to hit a hydrant basically, or have somebody ferry water to you. And that's even more embarrassing because you couldn't put out the fire and you have to call for backup. And let me tell you folks, firefighters like to talk and they really like it when their compatriots fail. So um, it's a, it's a lot of good fun for us. So to sum this all up, electric vehicle fires are no more dangerous, in my opinion, from what I've seen, than regular ICE vehicles. Now, I will say when electric car fire and the batteries involved, when that catches on fire, that's a way more spectacular to watch than just your standard car fire. But based off the information I've read and talking to other firefighters who have been on electric vehicle fires, they are no more dangerous than ICE vehicles. They're just different, and we have to learn how to fight those fires in a different way, just like we don't fight the sedan fire in the same way that we fight the semi-truck fire. And that pickup truck fire that we talked about earlier with the pool chemicals in it, when we roll up to that car, we're going to treat it completely different than if it did not have the pool chemicals in it. So what I'm saying here is that a lot of things are blown out of proportion I mean, our job is to mitigate situations, and not all situations are are mitigated the same way every single time. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. All right, I feel like I've beat that dead horse pretty thoroughly, so let's move on. Let's hear Elon's opening statement for Tesla's Q2 2021 earnings call. So to recap, Q2 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. We achieved record production, deliveries, and surpassed over a billion dollars in gap net income for the first time in Tesla history. I'd really like to congratulate everyone at Tesla for an amazing job. This is really an incredible milestone. Um, it also seems that public sentiment towards EVs is at an inflection point. And uh, at this point, I think almost everyone agrees that uh, electric vehicles are the only way forward. Um, regarding supply chain, while we're making cars at full speed, the global chip shortage situation remains quite serious. Uh, for the rest of this year, our growth rate will be determined by the, the slowest part in our supply chain, which uh, is a, a, there, there are a wide range of chips that are at various times the slowest parts in the supply chain. I mean, it's worth noting that if we had everything else, if we had uh, vast numbers of vehicles and cells, uh, we, we would not be able to make make them. Uh, if everything except the chips, we wouldn't be able to make them. The, the chip chip supply is fundamentally um, the governing factor on our uh, output. Um, it is difficult for us to say how long this will last because. Uh, we, we don't have, it's, 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 this, is, this is out of our control, essentially. Um, it, does, it does seem like it's getting better, um, but uh, it's hard to predict. Um, so, uh, in, in fact, even achieving the output that we did achieve was uh, only due to an immense effort from people within Tesla. Um, we uh, were able to substitute alternative uh, chips and then uh, write the firmware uh, in a matter of weeks. It's not just a matter of swapping out a chip. You also have to rewrite the software. So um, it was uh, an incredibly intense effort of uh, finding new chips, writing new firmware, integrating with the vehicle, and, and testing in order to maintain uh, production. And, um, and I'd also like to thank our suppliers who worked with us. Uh, and uh, there have been many calls you know, midnight, 1 a.m., just uh, with, with suppliers uh, in resolving a lot of the uh, shortages. So uh, thanks very much to our suppliers. Um, let's see, in terms of FSD subscription, we were able to launch uh, full self-driving subscription um, last month. And um, we, we expect it to, to build slowly, and, and then but then gather a lot of momentum over time. Um, Obviously, we need to have the full self-driving build uh, widely available for it really to take off at uh, a high rate and um, making a lot of progress there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think FSD subscription will be a significant factor probably next year. Um, we got to Giga Texas and Giga Berlin. Uh, we're actually doing this earnings call from Giga Texas, so we're in the factory right now doing this earnings call. This earnings call. Um, and the, the team has made incredible progress here. You can see the, the pictures online, and uh, I see that there's basically nothing a year ago, and, uh, and there's the, you know, a large, a mostly complete large factory <laughs> a year later. Um, so it's really, really great work by the Giga Texas team. Um, and, uh, and then also great, great work uh, in Berlin, uh, Brandenburg, uh, with the, the team there. So um, we expect uh, to be producing um, the sort of new, new design of the Model Y in both factories, in limited production uh, later this year. Um, it, it's always like it, it's not it, it's hard to sort of explain to people who have not been through the agony of a manufacturing ramp. Um, like, why can't you just turn it on and make, uh, you know, 5,000 a week? Uh, this is, it is so hard to, to do manufacturing. It is so hard to do production. 
to first approximation, there are 10,000 unique parts and processes that have to work, and the rate of growth of production goes as fast as the least lucky um, and, and dumbest of those 10,000 things. Um, and a bunch of them are not even in our control. So it's like, um, it's, it's, it's insanely difficult. Uh, I'm fond of saying that prototypes are easy and production is hard. Um, and arguably the, the, the really remarkable thing that Tesla has done is not, not to make an electric car or to be a, a car startup because there have been hundreds of car startups uh, in the United States uh, and outside the United States. Uh, so the thing that's remarkable is that Tesla didn't go bankrupt in, in reaching volume production. That's the amazing part because everyone else did. Um, because they all thought the prototype or the idea was the, the, the hard part, and it is not. It is trivial by comparison with actual production. So um, it's always worth noting um, that uh, of, of all the American car companies, there are only two that have not gone bankrupt, and that is Ford and Tesla. So, you know, um, the seeds of defeat are sown on the day of victory, and we must be careful that we do not do that. There often, if you look at the, if you look at the, look at history, so often uh, the seeds of defeat are sown on the day of victory. We will endeavor not to make that the case at Tesla. So, let's see. The, the model lines in Texas and made in Texas and um, Berlin will be will look very much like the model lines we currently make, but the there are substantial improvements in the uh, difficulty of manufacturing. Um, so for example, the Model Y uh, made here and in Berlin will have a cast front body and a cast rear body, um, whereas the one in, in California has a cast rear body but not a cast front body. Um, we're also aiming to do a structural pack with 4680s cells, um, which is a mass reduction and a cost reduction, and um, but we're not counting on that as the only way to make things work. We have uh, sort of a backup plan with um, non-structural, with a non-structural pack and um, 2170s essentially. So, uh, but at scale production, we obviously want to be using 4680s and uh, structural pack. Uh, from a physics standpoint, this is the best architecture. And from an economic standpoint, it is the lowest cost way to go. So the lightest, lowest cost. Um, but there's a lot of new technology there, so it is difficult to predict with precision um, when does it work and when do you reach scale, scale production. Um, and Drew's going to talk a bit more about the 4680 production. Um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, we are making great progress on the 4680 cells. Um, but, but there are there is a tremendous amount of innovation that we're packing into into that 4680 cell, and so uh, it's not simply um, a, a sort of minor improvement on state of the art. Uh, there are, and we went through this on the battery cell day, um, really dozens of you know half a dozen major improvements and dozens of of small improvements. Um, so I think it will be great, um, but. It's simple to say when the last of the of, of the technical challenges will be solved. Um, so, in conclusion, our team continues to make huge efforts to make our factories run at full speed, which is very difficult. Um, we have had some uh, factory shutdowns due to uh, part shortages, uh, and we hope those will be uh, relieved in the, in the coming weeks and months. Um, and uh, we're making great progress on full self-driving. Um, some of the progress is not easy to see because it's at, at sort of a foundational software level. Um, and so then it ends up being sort of a two steps forward, one step back situation. Um, and, uh, but over time, if you do two steps forward, one step back and keep going, you do move forward. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm highly confident that uh, the cars um, will be capable of full self-driving. Um, if they have a full self-driving computer and uh, the cameras, um, I'm confident that they will be able to drive themselves with a safety level substantially greater than that of the average person. 
All right. Great opening remarks by Elon here. Let's talk about it real quick. First of all, uh, first billion dollar quarter for Tesla. So that is fantastic for that company. And that's without factoring in the regulatory credits that they sell to other companies. So um, a huge win for the company there. Elon talked about the supply chain. And right now, all companies that deal in manufacturing are having issues with supply chain. And you know, it's, it's no different for Tesla or a company like Apple. They're just short on chips. I did think it was impressive the way that they rewrote the firmware for a chip alternative. And they actually ended up using from what I read, I think was a story in Teslarati microconductors in place of semiconductors, which is really impressive ingenuity. And for them to be able to write the firmware changes and then just be able to put those microcontrollers in there. Now, I'm not smart enough to know what those things are. <laughs> I have a vague idea what they are, but you know, I don't know what makes one better than the other. But still impressive that they were able to keep production up while they were rewriting this firmware. And then fitting the cars with these new components. It's very impressive. Now, this may be why we talked about last week the Model S deliveries were being delayed. That was only a week. They're now back up and running and starting to be delivered again. Although if you buy a Model S long range, you're looking at a delivery date sometime in early 2022, according to Teslarati. And if you want a Model Y long range, they're sold out until the first part of 2022. So I'm sure that the Model Y, when it's built at the Gigafactory uh, in Texas and Berlin later this year, that's going to help um, improve these imp delivery dates. But still, Elon also mentioned getting these factories online and, and getting the production lines working the way that they should so you can produce 5,000 vehicles a week is going to take some time. But once these factories are online, my first thought is if I buy a Model Y, I don't want one from the Fremont factory. <laughs> I want one with the improvements in manufacturing and maybe the 4680 battery cells I want one from Texas. I don't want it from from California. I want it from Texas. I guess what I'm saying, if I'm spending $60,000 on a vehicle, I want the newest technology, not the previous technology. Elon also mentioned something that I found to be very funny is that almost everyone agrees EVs are the way to move forward. Uh, he is not talking to the same people that I'm having conversations with because <laughs> almost none of them agree. Most of the people, regular people I have conversations about this stuff about still thinks that EVs aren't ready. So mm, I don't know. I don't know who he's talking to. Not much of an update on the full self-driving subscription. So let's go ahead and jump into Zachary Kirkhorn, the CFO of Tesla, his opening remarks. Just to reiterate, Q2 was a great quarter for the Tesla team with strong improvements across the business. In particular, auto gross profit and margin, excluding credits, increased substantially. This was primarily driven by better cost optimization across our factories, good execution against our cost reduction plans, as well as increases in production and delivery volume. There was some benefit from pricing action, mostly in North America. However, it was small in the context of the other contributors. Note that the Model S and X program was at a slight loss for the quarter, due to the relatively low volume. And supply chain challenges, including expedites, continue to provide cost headwinds. Additionally, it's encouraging to see the progress made on profitability within our energy and services and other businesses. While there's some benefit to looking at our progress quarter over quarter, I find it more helpful to look at progress over a slightly long-term horizon. Over the last two years, our vehicle delivery volumes have more than doubled. This volume increase was made possible by a steady decrease in ASPs of more than 10%, driven by a roadmap to increase affordability and shifting mix towards our more affordable vehicles. Yet over that same period of time, our auto gross margin, excluding credits, has increased nearly 10 percentage points to our highest yet since the introduction of Model 3. This is only possible because our average cost per vehicle has reduced by more than the reduction in average price. This is a remarkable achievement in the context of the volume growth and ASP reduction as mentioned, and a testament to the hard work by the Tesla team. Additionally, OPEX as a percentage of revenue has declined, and in particular SG&A, 
representing the work we've done to become more efficient as we scale the company while still making the required R&D investments to support our future. As a result, our GAAP operating margins have risen from negative to double-digit in line with what we have guided. By managing our overhead costs and driving higher volumes, our P&L is benefiting from the marginal profitability of each incremental unit. Or said differently, we are recognizing the benefits of scale and improved fixed cost absorption. With strong operating cash flows and cash balance, we are putting that cash to use. CapEx continues to tick up, primarily driven by capacity investments in Austin, Berlin, and Shanghai. Additionally, each quarter we are using our cash to retire legacy debt, which was taken on at a time when interest rates and company risk were much higher than in today's environment. As I've mentioned before, our 2021 volumes will skew towards the second half of the year as we push for continued sequential increases in volume. Despite the great work so far managing the instability of the supply chain, these challenges remain and are unfortunately increasing in pain with the higher volume. As we work through the uncertainty, we want to ensure we do our best to manage customer wait times, as well as the impact these interruptions have on our employees and costs. And as Elon mentioned, volume growth will be determined by part availability, as we have the factory capacity ready and are in a strong demand position. I'm excited to see the progress made by the Tesla team as we continue um, building the business and strengthening our financial. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right. I don't have much to add or anything to add really to Zachary's statement. I only leave this stuff in because I know that a lot of you are Tesla investors and this is interesting and important information to you. So that's why I keep it in there. All right, let's move to the retail investor portion where people write in on say.com and then they answer the questions. And the first question is about the Cybertruck. So let's listen to that. Tesla's website still says Cybertruck production is expected to begin in late 2021. Can Tesla share more details on the current status of the Cybertruck and confirm if production is still expected? Sorry, we cut out there for a second. Um, yeah, the Cybertruck is um, currently in its uh, alpha stages. We finished basic engineering architecture of the vehicle. Um, with the Cybertruck, we're redefining how the vehicle is to be made. 
As Elon said, it carries much of the structural pack and large casting designs of the Model Y being built in Berlin and Austin. Um, obviously, those take priority over the Cybertruck, but we are moving into the um, beta phases of Cybertruck later this year, and um, we'll be looking to ramp that in production in uh, Giga, Texas, after uh, Model Y is up and going. In, in order for Cybertruck and Semi to scale to volume that's meaningful for customer deliveries, uh, we, we've got to solve um, the, the chip shortage, uh, or you know, working with our suppliers. People sometimes say, "Why don't you just build a chip fab?" Okay, well, okay, that would take us, you know, even moving like like lightning, twelve to eighteen months. Um, so it's not like yeah, you can just whip up a chip fab. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I'll just make a quick chip fab. Cybertruck and Semi actually both are heavy users of, of, of cell capacity, so we've got to make sure we have the cell capacity uh, for those two vehicles, or it's, it's kind of pointless. We can make a small number of of vehicles, um, but the, the, the effective cost if you make a small number of vehicles is, is insane. Like they would literally cost, uh, you know, a million dollars a piece <laughs> or more. <laughs> and that, there's a reason why you do things at volume production, uh, which is to get the economies of scale that get the cost down. Um, so, uh, but we are, we are looking at a pretty massive increase in cell availability next year. Um, uh, even without um, Tesla cell production, uh, we believe our suppliers will be able to deliver about twice as much cell output in next year as this year. Uh, Drew, do you want to talk more about that? Uh, yeah. Given concerns over cells bottlenecking growth, our target is to grow cell supply ahead of the 50% year-on-year year growth targets of the vehicle business and also enable increased energy storage deployments. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our sales suppliers are tracking to double their production in 2022. All right. So I cut out a lot of stuff in this answer because a lot of it wasn't really super important or they had already talked about it. For instance, the difficulties in manufacturing, manufacturing big products is hard. And then also, you know, there's a supply chain uh, shortage. We already know these things, but they hit them again. So apparently that is something that is definitely weighing on Elon and the team's mind. Cybertruck is going to be moving into beta later this year after the Model Y has been built first. Elon thinks, and this is something that I cut out, that nickel-based battery cells, which can contain about 2% cobalt, will be replaced with an iron-based chemistry, which contains 0% cobalt, according to Elon, which I was under the impression that it contained a very small amount of cobalt. Um, I mean, small, bigger than zero, but smaller than two. But Elon says it's zero cobalt. And since he probably knows better than I do, we'll just go with that for now. Um, so the iron based chemistry will be two thirds of the market. Elon thinks with the remaining third being nickel based. And I would imagine that the nickel based, since it costs more for the, the battery cells, the nickel based is a little bit more reliable than the iron based right now, as we're talking today, but I would imagine the nickel base would go into high end vehicles and then the iron base would go into your lower end vehicles like they're doing in China. But in terms of is the cyber truck delayed? We don't know. We don't know if it's delayed or on time because they haven't confirmed anything. So my guess is that they're trying really hard to get one or two of these cyber trucks out by the end of the year so that they can say they're on time. However, they're preparing us for a delay, which could even go into the second quarter of next year. Who knows, depending on how difficult the Cybertruck is to build at scale. And then also, you know, are they able to get the parts that they need? Speaking of getting the parts that they need, Tesla has confirmed after the earnings call that they are delaying the Tesla semi program until 2022. So does that mean manufacturing will start in 22 or they'll just start, you know, getting the lines up and running in 2022? We don't know yet, but we'll see. Kind of on the same subject, but not really. Speaking of materials that make up batteries, such as cobalt, nickel, and iron, J.B. Straubel, former CTO and court-appointed co-founder of Tesla, has received a $700 million investment in his battery recycling firm, Redwood Materials. So basically, they take all of the important stuff out of battery cells and they recycle them so that they can be put in new batteries. 
And as a happy coincidence, Tesla filed a patent to recover and recycle nickel and cobalt from old batteries. Now, this is just a patent, so there's no guarantee that Tesla is going to do this. But based on how important these minerals are to Tesla, I would imagine that they're going to start recycling their own batteries. I mean, they didn't like the seats that they were sourcing for the Model S, so they just, or I think it was the, maybe it was the Model 3. So they just started building their own. So it doesn't, it's not too far of a stretch to think that they might actually start building their own batteries, or excuse me, recycling their own batteries. All right, let's go ahead and listen to Elon and the team talk about opening up the supercharger network to other EV manufacturers. Elon has said that Tesla will be uh, opening up the supercharger network to other EVs later this year. Can you share some more details on how this will be structured? Will this be a select brands or will they contribute to the the growth of this network? Currently thinking it's a real simple thing where um, you just download the Tesla app and you go to a supercharger um, and you just indicate... uh, which stall you're in. Uh, so you, you plug in uh, your, your car, even if it's not Tesla, and then you just access the app and say, turn on the stall that I'm in for how much electricity. Um, and this should basically work with, I think, um, almost any manufacturer's cars. Um, there, there will be a time constraint. So if the charge rate is, is super slow, then uh, somebody will be charged more because uh, the, the the biggest constraint at the superchargers is time. Not, um, the you know how how occupied is the stall, um, and we'll, we'll also be smarter with how how we charge for uh, electricity at the superchargers. So you know r- rush hour charging will be more expensive than um, off hours charging because. There are times when the superchargers are empty and times when they're jam-packed. And so it makes sense to have some um, time-based uh, uh, discrimination. On yeah, we've yeah. been doing that and it's been working and people yeah. respond. And it helps with utilization. In Europe and China and most parts of the world, uh, it's, a, it's the same connector for everyone. Um, so this is a fairly easy thing to do. Uh, developed our own connector, um, which in my opinion is actually developed supercharging. Tesla was the only one who, who had... Uh, high power charging, and there was no standard. So we developed our own connector, um, which in my opinion is actually uh, the best connector. It's, it's small and light, and looks good. Um, so the, the, an adapter is needed to work for um, EVs in, in North America, um, but people can buy this adapter, um, and we uh, anticipate having it available at the superchargers as well, uh, if people don't, don't sort of steal them or something. <laughs> We have a good solution to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, but, but I, you know that that is just a, that's a constraint on the North American thing. Yeah. That's that's basically a vestige of history. But uh, I think we, we do want to emphasize that it, it is our goal is to uh, support the advent of sustainable energy. Uh, it is not to create a wolf garden um, and use that to bludgeon our competitors, <laughs> which is sometimes used by some companies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's also important to comment that uh, increasing the, the utilization of the network actually reduces our costs, which allows us to um, uh, lower charging prices for all customers, makes the network more profitable, allows us to grow the network faster. So that's a good thing there. Um, and, then, and no matter what, we're going to continue to aggressively expand the network capacity, increasing charging speeds, improving the trip planning tools to protect against site congestion using dynamic pricing, as Elon mentioned, yeah. and just continue to focus on minimum wait time for all customers. Yeah, obviously, in order for this to, to be, for the supercharger to be useful to, to other car companies, cars, uh, we need to grow the network uh, faster than we're growing vehicle output, yeah. which is not easy. We're growing vehicle output at a, at a hell of a rate. <laughs> so superchargers need to grow faster than vehicle output. So this is a lot of work for the supercharger team. Um, but it is only useful in, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it's only useful to the public if we're able to grow faster than Tesla vehicle output. Uh, so that, that is our goal. I don't have a whole bunch to say about this other than that I really am happy that Tesla's opening up the supercharger network to other EV manufacturers to kind of help spur adoption. So I think this is great. When Elon was talking about 
China and Europe, they don't have to have a special uh, connector. That's because there are two charging ports on Tesla's made or sent to China and Europe. And those are CCS ports and then the regular Tesla port. And I'd like to see something like that happen here in the United States, honestly, because obviously it can happen on one entire continent, which is made up of several countries and then one very large country that is China. So this is possible for them to bring that here to North America and to the rest of the world. Uh, We just need to push for it. Because in this earnings call, Elon took a bunch of uh, swipes at Apple in terms of Apple using 100% cobalt in their batteries, which I don't know that that is true. And then, you know, <laughs> Apple locking their um, uh, uh, customers into like an ecosystem, which, hello, Tesla, <laughs> you do the same thing. I'm not really sure if Elon's aware of the irony or I, I don't know. But anyway, it would be nice if they just kind of open that port up uh, or at least give us a second option for sure. All right, next up, we're going to talk about the 4680 battery cell. Uh, Elon said 4680 cells aren't reliable enough for vehicles. Is this referring to cycle life, degradation, or something else? Uh, please update us on progress of 4680s and what is still needs to be done um, to make them reliable enough for vehicles. Um. Yeah, I mean, really, this is not. Uh, um, we'll definitely make the 4680 uh, reliable enough for vehicles, and we, I think, are at the point where, in limited volume, it is reliable enough for vehicles. Yes. Um, the again, going back to like you know, limited production is easy, or prototype production is easy, but high volume production is hard. Um, there are a number of challenges in in transitioning from uh, sort of small-scale production to a uh, large-volume production. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not to get too much into the weeds of things, but r- right now we have a challenge with um, basically the what's called calendaring or, or basically squashing the cathode material to a, a, um, a particular height. So it just goes through these rollers and gets and gets squashed, like, like pizza dough, basically. Uh, <laughs> And but very hard pizza dough, um, and the it, it's causing it's it's denting the calendar rolls. Um, this is not something that that happened when the calendar rolls were smaller, but it is happening when the calendar rolls are bigger. <laughs> so just like uh, we're like okay, we weren't expecting that. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not a like science problem. It's an engineering problem. It's not yeah, a question yeah. of if. It's a question of when. And the yeah. team is 100 percent focused on on resolving these limiting processes as quickly as possible. Exactly. Um, yeah, and on, on, on the reliability side, uh, as Elon mentioned, we have successfully validated performance and the lifetime uh, durability of the 4680 cells produced at Cato. Um, and we're continuing ongoing verification of that reliability. We're actually accruing over 1 million equivalent miles on our cells that we produce every month in, in our testing activities. As, you know, the focus on that is, is very clear. We want high-quality cells for, for all of our customers. Um, and yeah, we're just focused on the unlucky limiting steps in the in the in the facility. Um, and with the engineers focused on those few steps remaining, we're going to break through as you know as fast as possible. Um, meantime, we're, we're you know we have a, a massive amount of equipment um, on order and arriving for the, the high volume uh, cell production uh, in uh, Austin and Berlin. And um, but but obviously, given what we've learned uh, with the pilot plant, which is in in, um, in Fremont, which is really quite a big plant by by most standards, um, we will have to modify a bunch of that equipment. So um, you know, it won't be able to start like immediately. Uh, but it seems like uh, I mean, Drew, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we think most likely uh, we will hit an annualized rate uh, of 100 gigawatt hours a year sometime next year. We'll have all the equipment installed yeah. to accomplish uh, 100 gigawatt hours, and it, it's possible yeah. uh, that by the end of the year we will be at an annualized rate of 100 gigawatt hours by yeah. the end of the year. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my guess is 
more likely than not, about 50% of, of reaching 100 gigawatt hours a year by the end of next year on an annualized rate, something like that. Yep. Um, but it could shift by a little bit. So uh, yeah, but nothing, nothing as Drew mentioned, it's nothing fundamental. No. Uh, just a lot of work. Yeah, and, and even to the large roller question, Elon, right? Like on the anode side, the large rollers work great, no concerns. And so we're just learning as we go. Um, and uh, and the, the nice thing about having that facility, you know, on the fast track like we had it and we talked about it at, at Battery Day was really de-risking the, the big factories here. Um, yeah. That's what we've done. Um, and we've learned, learned a lot. And uh, with each successive iteration, um, the ramp up and the equipment installation will be faster and more stable. Yeah. All right. I really don't have a lot to add to this once again, but I do appreciate their candor and I could listen to a whole series of podcasts about, you know, problems that they've had making the battery cells or making the vehicles uh, and how they overcame them. That is endlessly fa fascinating to me. So I like it when they kind of get into the nuts and bolts and then and the nerdy details. All right, before we get into our next question, Elon did announce that he is going to take a lesser role in the um, earnings calls. He'll still take part in the annual investors meeting, but there's going to, he's just going to take a little bit more of a backseat to the earnings calls. If something's really important, he'll, he'll come on and he'll talk about it. But this is the last earnings call where he'll, where he will be front and center. And while we're talking about Elon being front and center, Elon has announced that Tesla AI Day will take place on August 19th. And if you work at Tesla and you have the ability to get me to, <laughs> into that uh, little event, which I'm not holding my breath, but whatever, I might as well throw it out there. Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918 Digital. And I appreciate it. All right, let's go to the institutional investors. And the first question we're going to hear wasn't the first question asked, but that they had already pretty much answered it. So the first question we're going to hear is... In five years' time, how much faster, better could you be at manufacturing capacity expansion using cut and paste? And what are the biggest issues you need to solve to get to that rate? I think we might be the, the fastest growing uh, company in history for any large manufactured item. So those who have not actually been involved in the manufacturing ramp have just no idea how painful and difficult it is. Uh, it's like, you know, this, this, you got to eat a lot of glass and uh, for our manufacturing ramp, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you look at the expansion we've done in Shanghai, um, you know, that, that factory was built in less than a year and ramped in, you know, five to six months to full volume. When you no, consider no, no, that. Too long than that, about, about a year. And when you consider cut and paste, we've repeated that, you know, in, in, in Fremont and whatever. But now with Berlin and Austin, we have new uh, um, factories and new designs. And so there's always challenges, as you, as you said, Elon, with, with new designs and ramping that. But I think having teams in three locations or three continents will definitely expand our ability and our capacity to, um, you know, grow more lines uh, rather than just having the one uh, factory in Fremont that we had, you know, year. I mean, for... Shanghai, it was incredible team both both the factory eleven months, but it took longer than it's longer than building the factory. It was hot. It, it took longer than that to actually reach volume production, high volume production. Um, so it took about a year. Uh, so and any when you when you put a factory in a new geography, um, in order for that factory to be efficient, you have to localize the supply chain. So it's there's no such thing as cut and paste. It does not exist, um, and that, you know, obviously, it'd be insane to do vehicle production in Europe, but send vast numbers of parts from North America. That would be that, that, that would make the you know producing in Europe, for example, um, just crazy. Um, you, you've got to look like the supply chain to have efficiency, and then you, you're moving as fast as as your least lucky, uh, least good supplier. It's also it takes a while to hire all the people and train all the people to operate the factory. A factory is like a giant cybernetic collective, um, and you can't just hire ten thousand people and have them have it work instantly. It's not possible. All right, again, another highlight of the pitfalls of manufacturing. 
Um, I left some of that in there. And the reason why is because I cut a lot of it out in the beginning and I couldn't remember a hundred percent of what I cut out and what I left in. So this was a nice little catch all compared to the 14 minutes or so that I've already cut out of the, the earnings call. Okay, we're into the analyst part of the show. So the analysts ask questions and most of these are really good questions. Uh, some of them are not so great all of the time, but uh, I'm going to take the really good ones and play them for you now. The first one is all about full self-driving and whether or not regulators are on board with it or are they still stuck in the past? What's going on? And Elon answers that question here. Okay, and, and then just the, the follow-up there is about the, the, the cadence of the regulatory environment, keeping up with the technology. You know, are you seeing meaningful evolution in terms of the regulators really understanding the technology and, and beginning to set some standards here sometime in the near term? Um, at least in um, the U.S., we, we, we don't see uh, regulation as a fundamental limiter. Um, we've, got to, we've obviously got to make it work and then demonstrate that it, the reliability is significantly in excess of the average human driver um, for it to be allowed, um, you know, for, for, for people to be able to use it without uh, paying attention to the road. Um, but we, I think we have a massive fleet, so it will be, I think, uh, straightforward to make the argument on statistical grounds um, just based on the number of interventions, uh, you know, or especially interventions that would result in a crash uh, at scale, we think we'll have billions of miles of travel to uh, be able to show that uh, it is, you know, the safety of the car with the autopilot on is, uh, you know, 100% or 200% or more safer than the average human driver. At that point, I think it would be uh, unconscionable to not to allow the autopilot because <laughs> the car just becomes way less safe. It would be sort of like if you take the elevator analogy, you know, uh, back in the day, you used, used to have elevator operators uh, with like a big sort of switch that, that, and they would, that operate the elevator and, and move between floors. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that gets tired or, or maybe drunk or something, um, or distract, distracted, and every now and again, somebody would be kind of shared in half between floors. Um, that's kind of the situation we have with cars. Um, autonomy will become so safe that it will be unsafe to manually operate the, the car, relatively speaking. Um, and, um, you know, today, uh, obviously, we just get in, a, in an elevator, we press the button for which floor we want, and it just takes us there safely. Um, and it would, it would be quite alarming if it was elevators were operated by a person with a giant switch. Uh, that's how it would be with cars. Sounds good to me. Um, I'm looking forward to a world where we have less car accidents for sure. Not zero car accidents because things are still going to go wrong. I think people look at this kind of stuff like, uh, full self-driving and they say, okay, well, no more accidents. And then when an accident happens, they make a big deal out of it. And it's not that it's not a big deal because it's an accident and somebody could get hurt or killed. It's just that accidents are going to happen. Like my kids ride their bicycles and they fall down. It's not the bicycle's fault. It's not the bike's fault. Hell, I am, you know, 46 years old. Occasionally I get a little stupid and try to show off for my kids and I fall down and that's a hundred percent my fault. But it's not the bicycle's fault. So what I'm saying here is accidents will occur going forward. Um, it's, hopefully, it's just going to be less accidents. It's the same kind of principle when people talk about electric vehicles and you have that one friend that argues that, well, it's it's polluting the earth because they're pulling minerals out of the earth and building a vehicle. And that is 100% true. And so... I don't have an argument for you there, but I will say that once the vehicle's built, it's a whole lot better than having a uh, electric vehicle that's burning mostly clean energy in, in most cases, not in every case, than an ICE vehicle that's burning dirty petroleum every single time. Even if the electricity is dirty, it's still cleaner than burning hydrocarbons. 
In our next clip, the analyst talks about or asks about the new battery technology that Tesla has with the dry cathode. And they've already answered some of this, but they do give us some more details, especially on that Fremont uh, battery line. So let's listen in. Just separately from this, um, can you just clarify what the status is of uh, some of the advances in in battery manufacturing, uh, things like dry cathode mixing that, that you talked about on, on uh, battery day. Uh, what's the timeline? How, how are those uh, evolving? Yeah, yeah we, we commented on it uh, today um, already, actually. But, you know, in the, in the facility at Cato, over 90% of the, the like, processes have demonstrated rate right there, but we are limited by the unlucky few that have not, and that's what we're working on. Uh, one of them that Elon mentioned was... Um, running the, the full-scale uh, cathode calendar. Uh, we're, we're working through some uh, improvements that we need to make to that equipment and to the, the actual raw material itself to, to not have those limitations. But again, it's an engineering problem. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Um, on the mixing side, we haven't actually really had any challenges specific to your question. Um, and, uh, fundamentally, we're still happy with the, the dry process direction in terms of the factory footprint, complexity, utility consumption, space, uh, and overall complexity simplification. Yeah. And, I mean, and the cost associated with everything that I just mentioned. Yeah. And, and we don't have overemphasize dry cathode. I mean, it's, it is a, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like 10 or 15% of the cost improvement or something like that. I don't know, 20% maybe? Over oh, when? Oh. Yeah, 10, 10, 10, 10 closer percent. to 10. Yeah, yeah so, so it's like, just, just like people don't think like this is like the Messiah or something. Uh, you know, wet versus dry <laughs> reduces, to dry is like 10% less cost than wet. <laughs> so it's not, um, you know, not 10%, you know, still not to sneeze at, um, especially if you're making, you know, hundreds of gigawatt hours a year. Um, but it's not, it's not the, All right. In our next clip, because we're running out of time here and I don't have really much to say on that, we're going to hear more about the 4680 battery, but more in terms of sourcing. Now, the gentleman asked the questions, have you talked to your suppliers about them building the 4680 battery cells for you? We already know if you listen to this show that Tesla is working with CATL, LG Kim. I believe they're still working with Panasonic on this. And then maybe Samsung. I don't know if Samsung is 100% or not, so don't quote me on that. But they're working with a lot of battery manufacturers on top of building their own to build these 4680 cells. But Elon's answer goes into a little bit more detail in terms of the plan for long-range batteries versus the the shorter range vehicles. And I think it's a, I think it's a good answer. I don't know necessarily think it's a great question at this point, but I think it's a good answer. I was wondering how um, you're looking at your sourcing strategy for the 4680. You've talked a lot about all the work you're doing to develop your in-house production. Uh, But what about asking other battery manufacturers to do 4680 cells with their own technology uh, maybe less uh, less innovation than uh, what you guys are lining up internally, and and I was wondering if the first 4680 cells that we'll see uh, on the road will definitely come from Tesla's own manufacturing uh, lines, or whether they could be coming actually from outside suppliers as well. Now have a quick follow up. Uh, yeah, we we are in fact uh, working with our. Um, existing suppliers to produce 4680 uh, format cells. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, this is just a guess right now, um, but, I, you know, I, I see us sort of like tr- consolidating around a 4680 uh, nickel-based structural pack and uh, for long-range vehicles, and then uh, not necessarily a, a 4680 format, but some other format uh, for uh, iron-based cells, um, and so we, 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 right now we, we kind of have the Baskin Robbins of batteries situation, uh, where there's we have so many formats and, and so many chemistries 
uh, that it's uh, like we've got like 36 flavors of a battery at this point. You know, um, this is just this this results in an engineering drag coefficient um, where each variant of cell chemistry and format uh, requires uh, a certain amount of engineering to maintain it and troubleshoot and um, and this uh, inhibits our forward progress. So it is going to be important to consolidate to uh, just maybe ideally two form factors, maybe three, but, but ideally two, um, and um, and then just uh, you know one one nickel chemistry and one iron chemistry, and uh, so uh, we don't have to, to troubleshoot so many different variants. Yeah, and towards that end, we're, we are engaging with the suppliers that we've had good partnerships with on 4680 designs to enable that simplification and. You know, so so far so good. You know, they're working on, uh, they're bringing their core competencies to bear on that. We're not mandating like what's going on inside, but but uh, it, it's been a good, good collaboration. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we we do expect to see you know significant increases in supply from our existing suppliers in addition to the the sales that Tesla is making. So it's, it's both. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I get questions from our sales suppliers of like, are we just gonna Make all the cells ourselves, and we're like, no, please make as many as you possibly can and supply them to us. Um, we we have a significant unmet demand uh, in stationary storage. Uh, Mega pack is basically sold out through the end of next year, I believe. Yeah. Um, we have a massive backlog in Powerwall demand. The demand of Powerwall versus production is an insane mismatch. Uh, now, part of that problem is also the semiconductor. Yeah, the semiconductor issue. Um, so we, we we use a lot of the same chips in the in the power wall as we do in the car. So it's like which one do you want to make, cars or power walls? So we we need to make cars. So therefore, power wall production has has been reduced. Um, uh, but as that semiconductor shortage is alleviated, um, then we can um, massively ramp up power wall production. Um, you know, I think we we have a chance of of hitting an annualized rate of you know, a million units of Powerwall next year, uh, maybe, uh, sort of on the order of 20,000 a week. Um, but again, dependent on cell supply and uh, semiconductors. Um, but in terms of demand, I think there's probably demand for in excess of a million Powerwalls per year. And and, and, and a, actually, and just a vast amount of megapacks for Utilities uh, as the world transitions to a sustainable sustainable energy production, solar and wind are intermittent and, by their nature, really need battery packs um, in order to provide a steady flow of electricity. Um, and when you look at you know all the utilities in the world, this is a vast amount of batteries that are needed. Um, that's why you know long term we really think you know it's sort of Combined Tesla and suppliers need to produce uh, at least a thousand gigawatt hours a year, and maybe two thousand gigawatt hours a year. Two thousand gigawatt hours a year is insane. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot. I, I thought that clip had a lot of really good information, and hopefully you did too. In our last clip, and I think this is actually a good one to end on. And I'm I'm cutting out the actual question, but it's basically did what was the uptake of the 199 full self-driving subscription versus paying $10,000. Basically, did the full self-driving cannibalize, the full self-driving subscription cannibalize the full self-driving, you just buy it outright? So here's Zach Kirkhorn to answer that. Yeah, this is Zach here. I mean, I think we're still early in understanding how, our, uh, how FSD subscription will unfold, but a couple of data points here. So uh, we took a look at our backlog to see, you know, of customers in our backlog who have ordered FSD, did they cancel, you know, presumably to go to subscription after they take delivery? And the level of cancellations there was presumably to go to subscription after they take delivery. And the level of cancellations there was immaterial. So we're not seeing cannibalization there. It's possible that that changes, but that was also part of our pricing strategy at $99 and $199. Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, it's like any given price is going to be wrong. So we'll we'll just adjust it over time um, as as we see, you know, 
the, the value proposition makes sense to people. So um, we're just really, I'm not thinking about this a lot right now. Uh, we need to make full self-driving work um, in order for it to be a compelling value proposition. Otherwise, people are, uh, you know, kind of betting on the future. I mean, right, like right now, is it, does it make sense for somebody to do FSD subscription? I think it's debatable. Um, but if it, um, once we have uh, full self-driving widely deployed, uh, then the value proposition will be clear. And at that point, uh, I think basically everyone will, will use it. Uh, or if it be rare, rare, a rare individual who doesn't. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Speaking of rare individuals, if you made it to the end of this podcast, you are a rare individual. Thank you so much for listening. That is our show this week. I hope you all enjoyed it because it took a lot of time to put this thing together this week. I don't know why. It just was really, really difficult. Um, technical problems and, you know, my own brain, you know, children. So if you enjoyed the show and you listened and you had ads in your show and you don't want ads, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and get an ad free version of this show. If you have a question or a comment about this show or anything, really, you can email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can also find me on Twitter at 918digital and my DMs are open. So if you want to communicate that way in private, we can. And that is it for me, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful week. And I will see you next Friday.